If you make 100 off-market offers to sellers, it would be impossible for you to not get one or two deals. It would be impossible. Yep. Like, you have to be like, it would be harder to not get the deals than it would be to get the deals if you made 100 legitimate off-market offers. He is off-market offers. You're listening to the We Love Equity Real Estate Show, a podcast that discusses the intricacies of real estate investing with your host, Marcus E. Maloney. Marcus is a real estate investor best known for being the equity king. He's been awarded that moniker because he and his team find amazing real estate deals. He will be talking with investors who have done some transformational things in the real estate industry. They'll discuss their process, their strategies, and how their investments transform their lives and the communities they invest in. We welcome you to the We Love Equity Real Estate Show. We Love Equity Show is brought to you by Azria, widely recognized as an outstanding resource for real estate investors with exceptional education, networking, and support, along with profit-enhancing benefits and all aspects of real estate investing. Visit Azria at www.azria.org. That's visit Azria at www.azria.org. Welcome to another episode of the We Love Equity Real Estate Show. I am your host, Marcus Maloney, and today we have a guest that who hails from the West Coast, so the San Diego area, and we're going to be talking about wholesale and how uh, Greg converts some of his wholesale revenue into doors in upstate New York and in the, and along the Eastern Seaboard. So, what I want you to do. I want you to grab your pens, your pads, your paper, your tablets, whatever, so you could take detailed notes and learn how Greg is doing wholesale transactions and how he's converting that money into passive income. Because that's ultimately, that's what we're here for as real estate investors is because we want that passive income and not active income. We don't want to create another job. We want to create that passive income. So Greg, how are you doing today, sir? Nice. I'm doing well. I appreciate you inviting me to come on the show as a guest. You know, a little rainy out here today, but it's all good. Could be snow if I was in New York, which I'll be there in two weeks. <laughs> Absolutely. I feel the same way. I'm here in Phoenix. It's a little rainy today, too. And I have to go to Chicago in next week. So it could be snow. Same as you. So, Greg, right. give us a little bit of the background. What did you do prior to real estate? Sure. So I got started in the real estate business in 2015. I was in college. I was 20 years old. So I was very young, had no professional career or anything like that. So I was a hockey player before college. I went to college, got my four-year degree. And during that process, I wanted to get into, I committed to get, the key word there is committed to getting into real estate investing, right? As At a young age, yep. I knew that would give me an advantage. So yeah, I mean, I went to my, I guess my first seminar in 2015 in Newburgh, New York, where the area I grew up in, I grew up in the Hudson Valley. Okay. Uh, and uh, they talked about double closing, doing wholesale deals. And it sounded to me like it was possible, right? And I saw that people were doing it and making money, et cetera. So from that event, I went out and started marketing and putting out signs and handwriting letters. And, you know, it was a little bit different. It's crazy to say back in the day, but I mean, it was a lot different in <laughs> yeah. and 16 than it is now. That's almost a decade ago. So I was out there hustling, trying to find houses, trying to get my first deal. It took me nine months to get into the business. Okay, uh, So say that again. It took you how long? 
Took me nine months to do my first deal. Okay, nine so not months. not a week, not two weeks, no. not 90 days, like a lot of people try and preach and tell you. Although some people have found some success that quickly, but normally it takes between nine months and a year. For me, it took me 10 months. So we were basically on the same track. Yeah, I mean, it takes time because you're learning a new skill that you don't have any experience in. So you shouldn't expect to have success right away because it's like riding a bike. Like you've never done it before. It's going to be awkward and you're not going to be good at it. But, you know, once you get your first deal, the next one is still a little hard because you're still new. But then once you do a couple of deals and you can kind of see how you got the deals and how they actually work and dealing with the attorney or the title company, it does get easier because you just get better and then more familiar with the process. Okay. So were you in San Diego wholesaling in New York or you was in New York? I was time. living in New York, wholesaling in New York. I didn't move to San Diego until years after. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. All right. So you went to the seminar. First of all, what intrigued you about real estate from the beginning? Honestly, it just, it was a way to make a lot of money. Okay. It, 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 that's the honest truth, Marcus. Okay. Not, there was no construction background. I lived in a house. I mean, it, it was just like, seemed like real estate was a way to make a bunch of money. And I wanted to be wealthy, right? That was my goal. It wasn't really like, that was a straight up truth. Like I wanted freedom, okay. all the stuff people talk about. I just, that's what I wanted. And I knew that real estate was a viable business to do that because there are so many people who've made money in real estate. And if like, I always would say like, if these people can do it, I can certainly do it because they're not geniuses. And you know what I mean? You don't need to be a rocket scientist to create Tesla to, to make a couple million bucks in real estate a year. True, true, true. So Getting started, you went to the seminar. They were talking about assignments, double closes and everything like that. And you said, all right, I'm going to take the plunge. What did that look like? What was the first thing you did for those who are just trying to get their feet wet, trying to get started? So the first thing I did was I made a Craigslist post saying, I want to buy your house cash. Like that was the first thing, like literally the first thing I did. And I actually got the first lead I ever got was a motivated seller. I didn't know what I was doing. It was a fire damaged townhouse. I actually own a property similar to that right now, ironically. It's a rental. Okay. It was like a burned down townhouse. I think it was on Chaucer Circle in Middletown, New York. So it was like right near the city, about an hour away. Okay. And the guy was like, I want to get rid of this thing. It's burned down. I didn't know what to do. So I dropped the ball. Uh, but that was from a crisis. <laughs> yeah. He wanted to like to give me the deed. I didn't know what a deed was. It was a whole mess. But so the Craigslist ad got a couple of leads here and there, but then I started putting out like bandit signs. I'd hang bandit signs on poles okay. in the ground and just strategically would do that every weekend, right? I'd every weekend, I'd Friday nights, I'd go out and put them out. And then Sunday afternoon, I'd take, take them back because I don't want the code enforcement to get me. Yeah. Uh, so I did that for a long time and that got me a couple deals over time, not right away. Got the phone ringing and then I started handwriting direct mail. And it's crazy to like even talk about this because like, it wasn't even that long ago when I was like handwriting direct mail letters to hopefully get one deal in six months. And now like we spend eight to 10 grand a month in direct mail. And it's just crazy how like that wasn't even that long ago. I was handwriting the letters myself. Yep, um, so yep. I handwrote letters, uh, you know, and that, that got me a couple deals. I was like pulling the tax delinquent list and mailing people who didn't pay their property taxes. And then once I started doing a few deals here and there from that, I started to take that money that I would make and I would actually like have the mail house send the mail out. So I didn't have to handwrite them. So I could okay. taking the calls, you know, but man, it was a grind the first like year or two. Like it wasn't like I was making a ton of money. I did a few deals here and there and was working my face off. Didn't understand marketing or sales really at a high level. So 
that's where a lot of people struggle is they just, they don't, they forget they're not in the real estate business. They're in the sales and marketing business. They just happen to be yep. having real estate be their product or service. And that's one of the things that I wanted our audience to hear is you don't have to get started with a ton of money, but you have to have a ton of grit and hustle in order yeah. to get started. So you started with bandit signs, kind of door knocking, just going around, whatever you could do to try and get started. Um, and bandit signs. Wow. You know what? It's funny. I'm starting to see those come back around now here in Phoenix. Phoenix is like the capital of wholesaling, but yeah, yeah. It's all coming back around. Yeah. It's interesting how marketing happens in like waves and cycles. Like people would hate bandit signs like a year or two ago, everyone was calling and texting. And now you're seeing that's getting a little bit less productive. And now people are hanging signs out, running more Google ads. I think that when it comes to marketing, if you can get inbound leads, like mailers, Google ads, like when they're calling you, right? I've always found that those generally speaking are better quality leads because they're seeking you out. And some people would argue and say, oh, well, direct mail, you're mailing them. But yeah, they're calling you back though. Like true, I mean, true. they could throw that in the garbage if they wanted to, but we've gotten some of our best deals ever just from people calling us off of mailers, right? So, uh, you know, calling and texting works. We do it. It works and gets us deals, but you're going to have to kiss a lot more frogs to find that prince when you're prospecting somebody versus someone calling you on an inbound basis. Very true. And kind of looking at some of the numbers that we went through, because I started with direct mail back in 2012 and yeah, we were doing five, 10,000 dollars a month in mail. Well, this is after we had got started and ramped up, but then we switched over to cold calling. And I, like you said, you had to kiss a lot more frogs cold calling than you did direct mail. So actually we're starting to switch back over to direct mail because like yeah. you said, marketing goes in waves, just like motivated seller goes in waves. At one point it's working, then it's not working. So you have to learn how to pivot and make changes very quickly. A hundred percent, man. And that's, you made a great point there. I was actually looking at my numbers this morning. Like we had a pretty, we've had a pretty good lead gen month this month in March, but we only mm -hmm. have like two potential deals so far from our marketing activities. And the last month we had 10. So the business yeah. is very cyclical. You do all the right stuff. Some months you might get two or three houses. The next month you might get 10, but on average, it's going to come down to five, six or whatever, whatever your KPI is. But you know, I, I tell my team this, the deals come in waves, right? Like yep. we're getting a bunch of deals coming in. It might get a little slow as long as we're doing the right stuff every day and we're making offers, then everything will average itself out. It's just going to, sometimes it's just the real estate gods have different plans for off-market investors. True. <laughs> very true. Very true. So tell us about your first deal, Greg. I know you talked to us about that Craigslist deal that you fumbled and bumbled your way through. First of all, what did you learn from those mistakes that you were doing on that first transaction? So that deal never worked out, the fire damage yep. property. I didn't, I didn't understand what it was worth and I didn't have any clue. I honestly, it was the day I got out of the seminar, like that same day. Okay. I was so green. It was alarming, right? So I didn't know, I didn't know, I didn't know buyers, didn't know what the house was worth. I was scared to talk to the seller. My first actual deal I did that was like legitimate was a lady actually off a bandit sign in Poughkeepsie, New York, which is a pretty big city up in the Hudson Valley. And she got the bandit sign. She's called the bandit sign. She had her daughter living in the property with like a pit bull and this other dude. And she mm -hmm. didn't want to deal with it. She was actually a nice lady, but she just didn't want to deal with the whole kind of selling it on the market kind of deal. And we were like, 
I actually aligned with a local mentor at this point and like, was like, Hey man, like, can, can I JV deals with you? I'll bring you value, et cetera. So he's like, yeah, sure. So I brought him the deal. I said, Hey man, like, what do you think we can sell this for? And he's like, I think we could probably make a 10 K assignment on this. I know of a guy who will probably buy this. And we agreed to the seller that I forgot the price. It was a long time ago, but basically we made $10,000 and the tenant got out. So we closed the property once the tenant got out, which in this case was a seller's daughter. And we split 10 grand. So I put 5,000 in my pocket, which was really, I think at that time, probably more money than I ever seen for a guy okay. little kid. Uh, so I mean, I put the money in my pocket, but the main thing, Marcus, was it was a proof of concept. Like I was able to take the idea of doing a wholesale deal and turn it into reality by receiving a check, which it was almost like verification to my family that this yep. actually worked. Yeah. You know? So now you said something very key. You said, and this is one of the things that I was just telling my group is when you're getting started, sometimes you just need to JV some deals. So explain what that joint venture process is for me, yeah. Greg. So all it is, you find somebody who can help you. Usually that's a mentor in the market who's local, who's open to doing that. And you bring them deals, right? You bring them value first. You don't bug them and bother them because they'll ignore you. Mm -hmm. But you you basically make, you say, hey, listen, I'm new or I'm new to wholesale, whatever the case might be. You say, if I bring you deals, which I will negotiate on my, on my own, would you be open to joint venturing them, aka partnering up on that specific deal and then splitting the profit? Generally, the more experienced person has the buyers and then the new person has the marketing and the hustle that they want to do. So you're able to basically leverage somebody else and basically get a mentor for free without paying them because you're bringing mm -hmm. that value via deals that they probably wouldn't have gotten on their own if they didn't know you. And that's one of the things that I tell people is, you know, they always say, hey, you know what? I want to get started. Can you show me how to do X, Y, and Z? And I'm like, you can learn a lot of the surface level stuff from like YouTube and things like that. But when you're really getting into it, you always want that local mentor that can JV those deals with you. Yeah. That way, what you don't learn from let's say YouTube university, you can learn now in real life by doing a deal with somebody. Yes, you may only get 50% of the deal, but you're getting actually 100% of the deal because you're getting compensated for doing that, that work. It's like on the job training, you're getting compensated for the work and you're learning what you don't know. So I'm sure there's a lot of things that one transaction taught you besides just the proof of concept. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I went to the closing table and like was in the lawyer's office, like looking at a settlement and seeing how it works. And I was like a fantasy in my head, like, oh, I want to be in a lawyer's office closing a deal. It seems <laughs> so crazy. And now it's like, I don't go to closings because they're a waste of time. It's just like, yep. look at the HUD, right? But, you know, yeah, I mean, it's something that where if you're brand new, like you, you cannot, if you have the mindset with, I don't want to give up half my profit, it's like, you're probably not going to be successful in this business because if you're being greedy from day one, and you don't nope. see value in JVing with somebody who actually knows what they're doing, who can genuinely help you, you're crazy and you're probably not going to be successful. Because honestly, like, it's not the first deal that's going to move the needle for you. It's your thousandth deal, right? And if the only way you get to your thousandth deal is if you do your first deal. And the best way to get your first deal done, in my opinion, is to find someone who is local, who knows what they're doing, who can help you JV these deals. And the thing that people don't understand that hopefully comes off on this podcast is like a lot of people will hit successful investors up and say, Hey, can I pick your brain? Can I do this? And they're always going to yeah. get shut down. I generally say no to that. I think it's a waste of my time. However, if somebody says, Hey, I have a deal, Greg, it's over in blah, blah, blah. 
Can we JV it? I'm going to personally respond to them and say, absolutely, let's get on the phone and talk about it, right? So it's a little cheat code on getting access to people who you probably want to talk to and because you're bringing value to them. You're bringing yep. direct value to them. Right? You're not just saying, hey, thinking about getting started in real estate, like, can I pick your brain? Like, you're not, no one's going to, like, if they're really successful and they don't know you, you're not going to get answered. I can tell you that right now. Unless like I have this happen where like my brother's friends will text me and I like know them. And like, of course I'll help them because I know them. But like, if you're a straight up stranger, like you're not going to have a lot of success just asking random people to like pick their brain because they're too busy to do that. They don't have time and they don't know if you're a waste of their time. Right. Because you could pump their brain for information and then do nothing. And then it's like, I could have just ghosted you and you wouldn't have done anything anyway. (laughs) And that's exactly what happens. They want to get all of this information and do absolutely nothing with it. So I tell people, Hey, they say, well, I want to pick your brain. I say, you know what? I got all of these videos on YouTube. Go there. Yeah. Learn all of the information you need there. Once you have something of value, bring it to me. Let me see how I can help you and we can work together. But you just picking my brain. There's no, no value in it for me. And like you said, and it's not just about the value, but it's the time cost of money. My time sitting with you over a two or $3 coffee my hour is worth more than three hours, three dollars. hundred percent. That's the way I look at it. And all the stuff you're going to tell them is already for free on the internet. They can listen to whenever they want. So they're really just trying to find an excuse to waste your time because they probably don't want to go out and take action. Because if they really were motivated and I've seen this happen, they will find the information and they will implement the information. And then they'll actually hit you up with a specific instruction. Like, Hey, Marcus, I took your information. I love that podcast you did on direct mail. I just got this lead and it's over in Chicago and the seller wants 350 and I think it's worth 500. Do you want to maybe JV with it? Like, of course you'll answer that one because you yep. know the potential there, but Hey, can I just pick your brain and see how this business works? Like it's not going to work out for you if you, if you ask that. So, <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. So let me ask you this. So kind of going into the marketing because you do quite a bit of marketing. Is there anything specific that you say in your direct mail letters that you believe helps you get more leads? Yeah. Here's an example on something we, because we do a lot of testing. So we'll send different mail pieces out, different sequences, Mm -hmm. see what works. We have a deal that we're in contract on right now that we're wholesaling. And the letter, this was a letter. It said, we can close whenever you're ready to close. There's no rush if you don't want to close right away. So that Mm -hmm. line of copy, that sentence or two, got the seller to call us over the 10 other letters he got in the mail. Right. Because most people are like, I want to close in seven days. I want you yep. out of here right away. Cash, you know, you're screwed, foreclosure, mm-hmm. all that kind of like crazy distress stuff. This person called and said, The only reason I called you over the other 10 people is because your letter stated that we can close whenever we're ready. And my brother needs to find a place to move to. So that's why I called you. So, right there, I mean, and it, listen, I just randomly selected that letter on the mailhouse template. Like, I didn't do that strategically. Yeah. But what I will do is every time I do a different mailing sequence, like one, two, three, et cetera, I will use a different mail piece usually. And I will see what mail piece drives the most leads, right? And if I know that one mail piece does really well, I'll probably do it two in a row just to double, like see if I can kind of yep, have like yep. double it, you know, make sure that that's not a fluke. And then if I find a winner, I'll keep using the winner until it proves me wrong. And then I'll test something else. Yeah, so you're A-B testing, your marketing, your direct mail. I mean, one of the things that we do, we not only A-B test the letters, but we A-B test the envelopes. Like you said, mm-hmm. the, the stamp, should we do a, a wet stamp or a print stamp? 
all kinds of things that you can test. And these are some of the things, guys, that you're listening. You don't get just from, you know, watching YouTube or anything like that. You get this from actually being in the business and working with people and finding out what works. So I just did a podcast with Alan Goodman, who is actually a direct mail specialist. I mean, this guy, he talks about walk sequence. He talks about all kinds of stuff when it comes to direct mail, because he did my direct mail for years. So if you want more information about direct mail, you can reference that episode. But yeah, man, it's a lot of different things you have to play around with. You have to check in order to see what generates those leads for you. 100%. Yeah. And you're not going to know until you do it, right? Like a lot of people, they're afraid to market. They're afraid to spend money. And I get it. I've been there. But have to be willing to get your MBA in marketing from the streets by testing stuff out, right? Like I always tell people, and I say this, I'm like, listen, if you don't have at least, at least $1,000 a month, ideally two or three, you shouldn't yep. do direct mail. You should do texting and calling because- that channel is a little bit more friendly to a budget because you're going to get less quality leads, but you're going to be able to spend more. Oh, you're going to be able to, 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 if you have a thousand dollars a month, you can get a lot farther with cold calling and texting because it's just a cheaper media channel yep. versus direct mail. You're going to send out 2000 postcards. You're going to get two, three phone calls. And you're going to be like, Oh my God, this is a waste of my money. Right. So <laughs> you got to have the right expectations when you start running specific marketing channels because each channel is going to have pros and cons. True. True. So what I want to do, Real quick, Greg, let's take a brief break. When we come back, let's ask about what's the difference, direct mail with letters or postcards? What do you prefer? So we'll take a brief break. We'll be right back. PropString is the industry's number one tool for locating distressed properties and connecting with highly motivated sellers with 100% coverage across the U.S. PropString provides a deep dive into any property's specific details, making it easy to generate lists of distressed properties and contact to the owners. No other product or service can compare. Gain access to MLS property details like expired listings. You can pull accurate comps, even sale prices in non-disclosure states. This information is typically reserved for licensed real estate professionals, but is also available to you in PropStream. Gain access to unlimited nationwide property search, comparable home sales, targeted marketing lists, and owner contact lookup, built-in marketing tools, hundreds of filters to search and sort leads. Start your free seven-day trial now by going to crowd.propstreampro.com slash we love it. All right, we are back with Greg Hellbeck, and we're talking about wholesaling and marketing. And right now we're specifically touching on direct mail. So Greg, there's always that quandary out there. Hey, should I do postcards or should I do full letters? Um, what do you say? What do you think? Here's my answer. It depends. So I'll expand on that. Okay. So if you're mailing a really broad list of absentee owners, high equity, et cetera, my advice would be to, because let's say the list is over 10,000. Okay. I would probably lean towards postcards because that's more of a broad audience and you're to spend that money on letters is it's probably not going to drive a better response for that list you're mailing. So if you're mailing a list over 10,000 and it's more of a broad list, i.e. absentee or high equity where there's no distress point on there, I would definitely lean towards the postcards, right? However, if you're mailing more of a niche list, that's or niche, I don't think that's a word. If you're mailing more <laughs> of a niche list, mm -hmm. you uh, it's less than 10,000 and you have the budget for it, I would test letters out to see what type, type of a response it drives. And if it drives a pretty good response, and in my world, that's over 1%, 
I would probably stick to the letters if it's driving over a 1% response. If the letters are driving a less, a sub 1% response, which usually is the case, at least in my area, you can test it with a postcard. You can test that same list with a postcard, see if you get a similar response. Because if you're getting a similar response with a smaller list between postcards and letters, it's just going to be cheaper to send the postcards because you just, it's going to save you money, right? So yep. I would only do the letters if you're getting a measurable higher response because at the end of the day, it's dollars in, dollars out, and you can get a better ROAS when you spend less money, right? Like the ROAS return ad spend diminishes when you spend more money. So if you can spend three grand and get a deal with postcards versus four grand with letters, yep. you, and you, the response is the same, you just stick to the postcards because it's going to drive that result for you. There you go. And guys, just to clarify, response rate is when he say 1%, that means for every 100 letters he have go out, he have one phone call that yep. comes back in. So just keep that in mind. And I know a lot of people say getting started. Well, I sent 250 letters and I didn't get any calls. It doesn't work. Well, it's because you're many letters. Just... That's a crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's just, you just not sending out enough. You have to normally like you said, you have normally for me, I always tell people, if you can start out with 5,000 pieces, start there. That way you can start generating some traction. I understand, just like Greg said, some of you guys may not have that kind of money. Then you need to start out with the text messaging or the cold calling that way. But direct mail, it does cost a little bit more. But generally, the leads, the inbound leads are a little bit better than cold calling or text messaging. 100%. And here's a little direct mail nugget for people because a lot I used to overtrack this thing and I now I track it in like a very strategic way. The only thing that matters with direct mail and this is a I've just done this long enough to where like it's proven me right when it's proven me wrong when I didn't do this. The only thing that really matters is the return on the marketing spend, right? Mm -hmm. In theory, let's say I sent out a thousand letters, which I would not do because that's a waste of money, but in theory, mm -hmm. If I sent out a thousand letters and I got two calls and one of those two calls was a $50,000 profit deal, I would look at that as a home run success, right? So absolutely, the thing you got to really look for is how much money did you make on the money that you spent, right? Because sometimes, and this actually has worked for us, we've gotten a horrible response rate, like sub a half percent, like 0 0.003. But those calls that we got were good leads and those good leads turned into big, fat, juicy deals. So yep. if you just optimize for return on ad spend, you'll care less about the response rate, assuming that mailing campaign is generating quality leads. But the reality is the more calls you get, the more leads you're going to get, the more leads you're going to get, the more deals you're going to get, right? So it does correlate a little bit, but I've done mailers where we've sent out like yellow letters, for example, and we got a ton mm -hmm. of calls, but everyone was like, go F yourself. Take me yep, off. Yep. So it's like, that's not really measuring for success. You want to look at the amount of money you spend, the amount of calls you get, the net leads from those calls, like out of the 10 calls, how many were real leads? Was it two, three, four, five? You, generally, it's going to be less than half percent. Generally, it's less, like if you get 10 calls, five of those people are telling you to F off, and then maybe those other five will be decent leads, right? So that's yep. just reality. But you got to just look for, on my marketing campaign for direct mail, I spent 10 grand and I've made 30 grand. That's a three to one return, right? So like, that's the one thing you want to optimize for, not phone calls, right? Mm -hmm. that's, that's key for sure. And that's on average, what you just said, three to one. For every dollar out. We've done three, better. 
yeah, yeah three, three bucks four yep. yeah three to four to one is usually what we shoot for sometimes they, we've done we've done eight to one but we've done yeah. three to one, right it kind of varies but i would say on average we're three to four to one so if we spend 10 grand we'll make 40 grand right that's mm-hmm. generally what we'll do i love those eight to ones when that happened oh <laughs> they happen every time i'd be doing this from the back of my yacht <laughs> yep yep so yeah so guys that was some key information right there you know a lot of people especially with direct mail they get hung up on response rate but just like greg said no it's net revenue how much revenue are you generating from that campaign and that's one of the things that you need to track you need to track which campaign is successful and which campaign isn't so you want to look at hey is my high equity absentee campaign more successful than my probate campaign and vice versa yeah and the, and the data you mail matters, right? Like you got to try to your best to get your hands on good data. And if you don't have a big budget, I would go for more of the niche stuff. Find the mm-hmm. county tax list, find the eviction list. Well, the eviction list, eh, I don't know about that one if you're new. But, uh, you know, tax delinquent, uh, vacant properties, code enforcement, like the distress stuff is where you're going to have a better chance of success off the bat. Because you know, if you're mailing someone who hasn't paid their property tax in three years, they're probably going to be more motivated to call you versus the guy who's got a rental property and his tenant just stopped paying right. this one. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, I mean, digging into marketing, I could talk about this stuff all day because I've been doing it forever and looking at a lot of these same metrics that you were looking at, uh, Greg, from, and like I said, people, you have to make sure you're tracking this information. These are your key performance indicators. What is working in your business? What isn't working? And I suggest that you start now, wherever you at, if you're just getting started, or if you're doing $50,000, a month, you have to make sure you track this stuff because that way you can know what dollars are going out and what dollars are coming back in. 100%, 100%. And it's like, with direct mail, like you have to look at it on like a six to 12 month time horizon because the odds of you getting a deal off your first two drops are pretty low, especially if you're not spending a lot of money. But if you mail consistently and you are willing to go the distance and mail for six to 12 months, that's when number one, the momentum kicks in. But number two, mm-hmm. you're increasing the probability that you will get that call in that amount of time that will result in your deal. And now your campaign is profitable. Like I look like when I do direct mail, it's like, I look for my break even first, like how, wh- how long is it going to take to break even? And then once we break even every other deal on top of that is straight net, right? It's straight yeah. net, we got our, like return back from our spend. Now those two or three extra deals that closed are infinite profits because we already spent the money on the mail, you know? True, true. And, and like I tell people, it, it only takes one deal. You know, if you're, oh, if yeah. you're doing $5,000 a month, I mean, one deal will cover your marketing. And more than, yeah, more than likely each deal is going to be, well, we're seeing on, on average 13 grand per wholesale fee. You do one deal, you're, you're now making money for the next two months for you to start marketing again. So it starts to snowball guys. It starts to snowball. It starts to pick up steam. So let me ask you this, Greg, a lot of things, a lot of questions people have about letters doing the letters is it harder because you have to go through an extra step you have to open up the envelope then read the letter do you find the letters um and i know we kind of talked about the different niches with letters but do you find your open rate kind of better with letters versus the response rate with uh postcards it's a good question i think it depends on the letter you send if you send a letter that's very uh intriguing like a invitation style letter 
mm-hmm. that's going to have a pretty high open rate. And then depending on what they think of the actual mail piece inside the letter will drive the response. I think it depends, man. It depends on, on the list you're mailing. I, I really feel like, so like, for example, some people will say postcards have a hundred percent open rate, which is true. It's a postcard, you're but right. at the same time, some people see a postcard and they don't think it's professional enough. So they'll just throw that out. It could be the red, they could be the secret to their problem getting solved, but they just, because it's a postcard, they think it's cheap or cheesy. So mm-hmm. I think if you're mailing like invitation style letters that look a little handwritten on the, the front of the envelope, I think that will drive a pretty high open rate. Uh, and then when it comes to the actual letter, you got to make sure that that letter is a pretty straightforward letter. You know, Hey, I buy properties and close whenever you want buy the house as is. If you got tenants inside, that's no problem. No inspection and continue. all the typical stuff that investors would say. So I, I think it, it depends, man. It depends on your market and it depends on who you're mailing, right? Like yep. for example, in Delaware, we get a little bit less of a sophisticated seller, quite frankly. Those people are a little bit less sophisticated and they'll respond better to postcards or they'll respond mm-hmm. better to the ugly letters. But if we're mailing in San Diego or in the New York area where people are generally a little bit more well off, they they really do gravitate towards the more professional letter. Hi, this True. is Velocity House Buyers. We're a local home buying company. We've been around for a while. Like, So I think a lot of it too has to deal with the demographic of people you're mailing and that market, that state is really going to determine that. Like the, the Delaware area is a lot cheaper than the New York area, for example. Very key. And guys, when you're marketing, you have to take into account the receiver. What's the demographics of the receiver? Yes. Just like Greg said, hey, San Diego, you know, most houses are a million dollars and up, $2 million yes. and up. So sending a postcard may not work for them because they're looking at, well, if you don't even have the capital to send a professional business letter and you're sending a postcard, how are you going to be able to afford my two, $2 million property? Exactly. Yeah. And the same thing in New York. I mean, you got a lot of people up there who got a lot of money and they're savvy and they're, they mm-hmm. have attorneys. Like you're, it's a different, it's a totally different mindset up there. It's like people are savvy and they're sophisticated versus in Delaware. They live a little bit more simple life, at the mm-hmm. same time, you know, and we, we got a bunch of examples to, to demonstrate that with the people <laughs> we deal with down there. Um, yep. That's part of knowing your market, knowing who you're trying to serve at the end of the day. Great, great, great. So kind of wrapping up here, Greg, and I know you're doing some some things in multiple markets. How did you start with the virtual wholesaling? Because you're in San Diego, but you're doing yeah. deals in Delaware and you're doing deals in, in New York. So Definitely. how did that all come about? So I'm from New York, so I know the area very well. I've got a great network there. I have a second house there, so I go back a lot. That's like the the reason we're in New York is because that's where I started. That's where I'm from. That's We have a really good database of, of buyers and contractors and lenders and all that stuff. So New York is like kind of like the home base. So that's okay. why we're still there. And then we've been around for a while, so we got pretty good brand recognition. But then down in Delaware, my acquisitions guy actually moved to Delaware. He's from New York. He's from my same town. Okay, He moved to Delaware. And I was like, Hey man, if like, if you're down there, like, why don't we test the market out and see what marketing can bring, like what kind of results we can get from marketing. Right. So right. You're local, you can go on appointments. Like, you know, it made sense. So we started doing some marketing down there and ran into a couple of deals and uh, we liked what we saw. Initially it was a little rocky. Like, you know, we broke even on a flip and did a little baby assignment deal. We didn't know the market that well, mm-hmm. but after a couple of months, we started getting more momentum and we started doing some bigger deals. And we realized that because he's local, we have a big advantage on going on appointments. Right. And we started having the yep. market dictate that. And while that's going on, I'm building up a good network of buyers. I'm learning who the players are. I'm starting to understand the market. And that's really how we decided to, to stay in Delaware is because he's local there. We know the market now. 
and we understand where the value is there. Like a lot of people, like they try to like just go into these random towns. They don't have good infrastructure. Like, so you got to make sure you have someone who's boots on the ground, whether that's an employee or whether that's like a realtor you can partner with. And you got to make sure that you network online with people if you're not physically there. Like there's a great Facebook group in Delaware called Del Ria. You know, mm-hmm. there's there's a ton of other wholesalers there and other flippers there who are, or the flippers are at least our buyers and the wholesalers have pretty good buyers list if you need a JV with them. But you got to make sure that you do some investigation before you just jump into random markets. Like, you know, an example would be like, someone lives in San Francisco, it's super expensive. And they're like, oh, I'm tired of this. I want to go do deals in Kansas City. And like, they don't right. they think that Kansas City is like the answer to their problem. And they go to Kansas City and they get smoked because they didn't take the time to build up the database and understand where the deals were going down. You know what I mean? So you got to yep, be really yep. strategic and you want to invest, you know, a couple of weeks worth of research to see kind of what's going on in that market before you decide to test out marketing. Perfect. Perfect. Man, great information here, Greg. So as we wrap up, man, let's put Greg on a hot seat real quick. Greg, I got a couple of questions for you, man. So if you was to start over, what would you do differently? Oh, that's a good question. I'd be a lot more strategic with my marketing. So I would schedule out marketing that is really relevant to the budget I have. And I would consistently execute that in a, in a very non-emotional way. So I wouldn't just like say, oh, well, I can afford direct mail this month, but the next month I'm screwed. I would say, okay, I can afford direct mail for three or four months. This is exactly my budget. And this is going to be my game plan that I'm going to execute no matter what the results are. And I would see that through, right? Because when I started, I was just like haphazardly marketing and I was putting some signs out and I was putting some handwritten Mm -hmm. letters out. I had no like plan. So I would come up with a real like realistic plan given the budget I have. And I would execute that plan for a certain amount of time that I would predetermine probably with the help of a mentor. And I would see that plan through for results versus just like kind of dabbling in a bunch of different things. There you go. Okay. And then what do you believe that every successful real estate investor, real estate wholesaler needs to have? What is that one characteristic? Integrity. You got to do what you say you're going to do. You got to be upfront with people. You got to be a very honest person and you got to communicate with the seller. If if it's a wholesale deal and you don't want to close on it, you got to tell the seller what your intentions are. Like that's something we're big on in our company. If we're not going to, cause we close too. So like Mm -hmm. if we run into a deal and we don't want to buy it for some reason, we will tell the seller we're wholesaling it and we will let them know the risks associated with that. So if there's a problem, then they know in advance that the ultimate downside is we will back out of the deal. So a lot of wholesalers okay. get into this business. They don't tell the seller what's going on. They have no ability to close and they hold these people out high and dry. And, uh, you know, I, I feel like if you do the wrong thing over time, it, your reputation will come back and bite you in the butt. Yeah. So I would say integrity. I'll add a second part to that too. And it's just persistence, mm-hmm. which is like obviously critical with anything, but you know, it's a tough business. You got to be willing to understand that it's challenging, right? And if it was easy, everyone would do it, right? So a lot True. of people, they they get this idea that it's easy to make money in real estate and it's not, right? You got to really be in it for the long run and build up tangible marketing and sales skills if you want to stick around and make real money. Because like anything, it's it requires time, dedication, and then the persistence is the glue that kind of holds those two together. Because so many people, they 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 see something online, maybe it's a YouTube channel or whatever. And they, it just seems like it's easy. This guy made 30 grand in a month and they go try to duplicate that yep. and they don't make the 30 grand in a month. And their expectations are here when they should be here. 
And if they just had lower expectations, at least in the beginning, and they knew how difficult it was, they would have the foresight and the persistence to go the distance to actually have the success in the long run. True, true. And they're not looking at the backstory. Yeah, that person may have made 30 grand this month, but how many months prior to was he exactly spending, it's all you know, 10, 15 exactly. grand, right? Yeah, in order to make crazy. that 30 yeah. grand. Yep. So because if everyone was like, oh yeah, it's easy. If everyone was like, it's hard, this business is hard, you're gonna have to persist. Most sellers aren't gonna sell to you. Like there's competition. No one would want to do it, right? But you have to kind of lead with, hey, you can make money in this business, which is true. But the way you make money, you got to have skills and, you know, discipline and consistency and a plan. And you got to understand that, you know, the the longer you do this business, though, the easier it does get. Like you get momentum, the snowball, like you said, it it continues. But in the beginning, it's a grind, you know, it's a grind and you got to be willing to go the distance and push through that because that's happening to everybody, not just you. True, true. So, in parting, Greg, give us some words of encouragement for those people that are in that zero to 10 month phase, trying to get that first deal, trying to get everything off the ground, or it may be that consistent wholesaler, but now it's just been months since they were been able to close a deal. Kind of give us some words of encouragement. Your success is directly correlated to the amount of offers that you can make and track, right? That right there, if you just implement that and you track it. So if you Take that advice, so which is your success is directly correlated to the amount of offers that you make and track. You, over time, I, it's like almost guaranteed you will make money. It's like if you make one to two new offers a day and you track those offers in like a Google Sheet, which we still do to this day with our big company now, like mm-hmm. that's where the money is, right? Like a lot of people come to me and they're like, Greg, haven't done a deal. I don't know what's going on. I'm like, well, how many offers did you make? And they go, I don't know. Well, there's no. your problem right? That's your problem. Like the brick that builds this business is offers, whether you're renting them out, whether you're wholesaling them, whether you're fixing, flipping them. If you're not making offers, you're not going to have success. So you need to get critic. You need to get laser focused on lead generation, which will then make you, the lead generation will give you the opportunity to make the offer. And you got to be very unemotional about making offers. You make offers to every seller, you track the offers, And when you make enough offers and you can track them, you'll start to know your numbers. Okay. Every 20 offers I make, a seller says, yes. Okay. Well, how do I make 20 offers? You know, that's, it's really what it comes down to. It's, it's very simple, but it's not easy. If that makes sense. There you go. And that's so very important because people get caught up on everything. Hey, you know what? I want to go on social media and show what I'm doing. And I want to build out this perfect website or this perfect CRM. The most important thing is to talk to people and make offers. And you talk to people by doing your marketing and you make and you get you able to make offers because of the results of your marketing. Those are the two main things that you need to do. 100% man that's that's the key if you can just get really good at generating leads and making offers that alone will get you the results over time because like I tell people I'm like if you make 100 off-market offers to sellers it would be impossible for you to not get one or two deals it would be impossible like you have to be like it would be harder to not get the deals than it would be to get the deals if you made 100 legitimate off-market offers the key is off-market offers it's not let me go on the MLS and lowball people that might work but that's not that viable, right? If you're getting off-market leads and you're submitting offers and you're tracking those offers, if you make a hundred of them and you don't get a deal, send me an email. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll be like, all right. But I doubt you'll need to send me an email because you'll have a couple houses at that point. Yep, yep. So in, in, in parting, um, Greg, how can we reach you? How can we find you? If somebody want to ask a question or two, and guys, please be respectful of Greg's time. Um, how can we reach you? 
Instagram handle, Facebook um, yeah. handle. So I'll give you my email, like I just mentioned, okay. Greg at VelocityHouseBuyers.com, G-R-E-G at V-E-L-O-C-I-T-Y-H-O-U-S-E-B-U-Y-E-R-S.com, Greg at VelocityHouseBuyers.com. Or you can just drop me an Instagram message at Grego, G-R-E-G-O underscore 37. And um, that's the best way to get in touch with me. All right, guys. Greg gave his information. You know what to do. Get out there and take action. Do not, do not sit behind a computer and just look, but let's get out there and start taking action, doing your marketing and making offers just as Greg and I suggested. So Greg, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate your time. Thank you for the valuable content that you share with the We Love Equity Real Estate listeners. And we are signing off until next week. All right, guys, Greg provided a whole lot of great content when it comes to marketing. So just to recap, we went over joint venture deals, how to get started with little to no money, just partnering with the right people, um, how to find a mentor. That was one of the things that we discussed. We discussed direct mail and marketing. So these are three key takeaways that you can take away from this episode on today. So make sure you have your detailed notes, go over it, start taking action, start making sure you're pulling that list so you can do your direct mail marketing and start making offers. So it's Marcus Maloney, the host of the We Love Equity Real Estate Show, signing off on today. Remember, you can always go to MarcusEMaloney.com to get additional information, free purchase contracts, assignment agreements. Um, you can go to my YouTube channel, MRCS Maloney at, at uh, YouTube and feel free to find me, MRCS Maloney on Instagram. Love to answer your questions. We do have the 15-minute free consultations starting back up once again. So feel free to jump on the phone with me for 15 minutes. We could talk about whatever you need to talk about, about getting your business started or ramping up and doing more deals in your market or in your virtual market. So love you. Thank you so much for being here and we will see you until next time. Thank you for listening to today's show. I picked up some great actionable items and I'm sure you did as well. If so, let me know. You can always reach me via social media at facebook.com slash MRCS Maloney, Twitter at MRCS Maloney, and of course, IG at MRCS Maloney. You can also always reach me via email at mmaloney at equityri.com. Make sure you reach out to our guest as well. You can always find their contact information in the show notes below. If you have not subscribed already, what are you waiting for? Join the family. And while you're at it, leave us a five-star review. This is how we tell if we're providing you with what you need for your journey. If there's someone you would like for me to interview, or if there's a subject matter you would like for me to cover, please let me know. Finally, if you're looking for additional information about real estate investing, go to equityrealestateblog.com, also youtube.com slash Marcus Maloney. Until next time, family, always enjoy the journey.